0: Acts chapter 4 in our Bible this evening. Acts chapter 4 just finished this October 3rd year. And I am thankful for what the Lord is doing there. I uh, have anticipated it taking a little bit longer to see some of the monumental things that we're seeing the Lord accomplish. Two burdens that I had even while in evangelism uh, that we would often see that was delinquent in churches when you go towards the southeast what is known as the bible belt um, two things that were just glaring in so many churches one is that the bible seemed to be really irrelevant in the bible belt and there's a lot of loyalty to tradition and that's not always bad um, but sometimes if it is well if it's loyalty to tradition over the word of god that is bad there's some traditions, some things that we can do uh, that's good to uh, to keep a hold of. But then there was just a lack also of men leading and uh, just a lot of uh, women-led churches. Something's gonna get done, you gotta get the women to do it, get the women's committee to do it. And and uh, it, it, there was a lot of men that would be faithful in attending but just not leading. And, um, and I was burdened again to see God do some things, even in evangelism, but you're just there at a church for a week or less than that. And then going to the church, uh, going to Canaan Baptist, I saw that was really a need that was there as well, and I was just burdened about that. But it's been great to see the Lord begin to turn the tide, and much of what has uh, been accomplished has really been accomplished because of prayer. And we've seen, we started a men's prayer meeting Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. We have, we have Sunday school at 10. So for them to come in two hours early, and we run just 30 men come every Sunday morning. I think this morning we had 35 men there this morning. They come and we'll pray and we'll change up how we may pray. But it really has caused the men to uh, to see we need to be in connected. We need to be tuned in. We need to be a little bit more engaged than what we have been, and I just use that uh, as the platform in which I just talk about anything that's important and serious. Because those men are serious about seeing God work, and so I'm serious about honoring them. And so, we if they're not if you're not there for the eight o'clock men's prayer meeting, you're going to have to find out from those men what we talked about and the business that was discussed. Because I think that's one of the biggest businesses is this prayer business. And God has begun to do some significant things. And then the Word of God has become very precious to the people. And, and that has been a great encouragement. So it's been a, a real blessing. Today we had a family join, come on, a gentleman come on staff. And he had been a pastor for a number of years. He's retired from the Marine Corps. And uh, he uh, said he believed that God wanted him to come and work with me and under me. And he said, um, I am coming. For no pay, if you'll take me. And uh, first, when we began talking about it, I, I, I knew I preached for him, and I knew of this gentleman, and I thought I don't really need to do a lot of vetting with this man and do a lot of, of researching of his credentials and uh, his references. But then I thought I need to do it for the church's sake. I really need to I just need to go down the road and find out everything I can about him. And, um, but when he told me, he said, I'll come for no pay, I thought, I don't need to do too much more checking. I can, I can, I can take a hit there maybe, but he uh, will but be a real blessing. He's been a real blessing um, already, even before him coming on board. But he is preaching tonight uh, in my place. Well, Acts chapter 4. Don't stand. We'll stand here in a moment and read. But I want us to read beginning in verse number uh, 29. The Bible says, and the people are expressing a desire and a burden. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common and with great power. Gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph's who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, the Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's just tremendous what we just read here concerning a church. And I've been making, uh, trying to establish what I think is a Bible case. And I've been calling it a case for church uh, at church. You know, so often uh, we are trying to figure out the Christian life and people are very zealous and a lot of the ones who've impacted and shaped our revival theology have been those that have been really a help to us in trying to figure out the impetus and the uh, just the platform and even the path to living the abundant, victorious Christian life. But I, I think that there is a significant failure on the part of many in helping us figure out the Christian life. And that is by minimizing, bypassing, undermining the local church. Listen, if you want to figure out the Christian life, figure out the local church. And we try to figure out the Christian life without figuring out the church, then we're going to run into frustration and there's going to be uh, a a great emptiness and and void in that kind of life in which we live. The, The fact is that Jesus Christ lived 33 and a half years upon this earth and the only institution he left behind was a local church. Local church is a big deal. Uh, You want to understand the concept of the Christian life. You want to understand the gauge by which you can can measure your Christianity. It's the church. Someone said to me, well, the, the two great commandments, love God and love others. What do you have to say to that? What I have to say to that is that is fleshed out through the local church. What do you think the worshiping is all about? It's about our loving God. What do you think the outreach is all about? It's about loving others. What do you think the encouraging and the edifying is all about? It's the local church. And here you find just a beautiful uh, uh, characteristic given to us uh, uh, of the church. Here the people are recognizing hey, there's some that are kind of hostile towards our evangelism and God, would you you do something? Would you you give us some boldness? And the Lord gave them what we all need and what they had before, and that is not human boldness, but the boldness of the Spirit of God, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We find that they had uh, power. They experienced resurrection power. They had grace, great grace given to them. They They were very generous in their giving. They were unified. They had um, a right perspective and understanding of leadership. You know, the people were not... um, trying to manipulate and manage everything. They understood how God operated through leadership. They trusted God. They followed leadership. And they made some major sacrifices. And the church is functioning the way God designed the church to function. It's just a a tremendous picture. And we have Barnabas mentioned to us, one who made a, a great sacrifice, having land, sold it, brought the money, laid at the apostles' feet in verse number 37. Let's stand together please and and let's read what I want us to draw our attention to tonight. I believe the Lord would have us to look at verse 37 ends with a period but chapter 5 and verse 1 shows that the thought was not ended but a certain man Named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold... Was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not light unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. I love the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because it is both a picture of what Jesus described to his disciples as to what the normal Christian life and the victorious Christian life would look like, but it's also proof. It is proof to me that when the Spirit of God has come upon his people, that it is possible for a church to live in victory and it's possible for an individual to also live in victory. In this day, the government was a whole lot worse than our government today. In the book of Acts, the society was much more pagan, much more hedonistic, much more central, and a whole lot more debauchery was taking place in the book of Acts, yet... We find people, we find congregations, we find local churches that were filled and knew experientially the power of God and lived victoriously and successfully. It's a great picture of what Jesus described to his disciples and it's proof that you and I today, 2018, regardless of what the landscape looks like, we too can experience complete total victory on a regular basis. But, it all hinges upon what has already been sung tonight. What you have heard and what you and I know. And that would be the simple concept. Surrender. It's surrender. And if Acts chapter 5 tells me anything, it tells me this. God is serious about surrender. I want to preach these few moments on the seriousness of surrender. Thank you. Please be seated. It was in 1944 that a Japanese lieutenant named Hiro Onada had been sent by his commander to a tropical island in the Philippines during World War II with orders to protect the island from enemy attack and conduct guerrilla warfare. Shortly after he arrived, however, the war had come to an end. Onoda refused to believe that the war was over. He refused to believe the messages that announced that the Japanese had truly surrendered. So for 29 long years, after his fellow soldiers had either been killed or surrendered themselves, Onoda continued defending an island for the defeated Japanese army. He hid in the jungle. He lived off the land. He stole food and supplies from local citizens. He evaded one search party after another. He even killed at least 30 nationals in the process. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent trying to locate this one lone holdout and convince him that truly the war was over. Leaflets and newspapers and other announcements and photographs and letters were dropped into the jungle. Announcements were made over loudspeakers. Announcements were made in many forms begging Onada to give up and to surrender. Yet he still refused. He refused to give up his fight. Some 13,000 men had been deployed in the effort before Onada finally received a personal command from his former commander that persuaded him to give up that futile, solitary war that he had waged for so many years. In his autobiography entitled, No Surrender, My 30-Year War, Onada describes that sinking sensation that he experienced and what transpired when it truly hit him and it dawned on him that this was all in vain. He said, I quote, I felt like a fool, end of quote. I want to tell you, whether you feel like it or not, we are fools to be children of the living God with the inheritance that we've been given and the promises that are at our disposal and to live a life that is holding out on God. Surrender. God expects it. God demands it. 2 Chronicles 30 and verse number 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. Daniel chapter 3 verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spake concerning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, They yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Why? Because the three Hebrew children, while they're not perfect, they were surrendered young men. Romans 12 and verse 1, we know this one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your... Aren't you thankful that God's not asking anything that's unreasonable of us? Romans 14, verse seven and eight, for none of us can live to himself. No man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. First Corinthians six and verse 20 tells us as a result of what Jesus has done for us, therefore glorify God in your bodies The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. What is that? Surrender. Surrender is the only right response that you and I can can, uh, 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 demonstrate to a God that created us and a God who owns us. Surrender. The Lord demands it. 150 years or so ago, Henry Varley said the words, The world is yet to see what God can do with and through and for and in a man who's wholly yielded and consecrated to him. And it was the young D.L. Moody who said, By the grace of God, I'm determined to be that man. It's the only right response. A.W. Tozer said, The man who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy. And whose burden is light. You know, many times even those of us who've heard the message of surrender, we know the concept of surrender. Perhaps we've given challenges and messages and we speak often of the importance of surrender. But we tend to sometimes, I think, gyp. The concept of surrender—we we, we kind of rob it of its significance unless we truly understand what surrender is about. And part of the reason I believe we misunderstand surrender is because of how we tend to compare it to certain things. Sometimes a preacher may get up and preach a gospel message. If we're not careful, we say, "Well, that doesn't apply to me," and we we tune out. You know, thankfully, I don't have to get saved again, so this one's not for me. I hope somebody else. Who needs to be saved, gets saved. sometimes when the message of surrender goes forth, we do the same thing, because we think, "I've done this one before. I can take you to the missions conference where I surrendered." I remember at the revival meeting where I surrendered, And many times people's testimony it begins with, "I got saved here, and I surrendered here." And we make it into an isolated event. I surrendered there. I surrendered at this uh, revival meeting, opening meeting. I surrendered here at this particular camp. I mean, there's where surrender many times is confused. You know, there are some similarities of surrender to salvation. Salvation, it does require choice. In other words, no one will ever get to heaven someday and say, Well, I wonder how I got here. No, no one gets to heaven automatically. No one gets to heaven accidentally. It requires a choice on our part to understand the concept of the gospel, to choose to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But salvation, thankfully, is a one-time event. There should have been more than just one amen on that one. Thankfully, it's a one-time event. You know, I, I got married one time. I'm thankful that's a one-time event. I know there are folks who they renew their wedding vows at a certain time and they'll go through this whole ceremony again after being married maybe 50 years or so and to which I say, you do whatever you want to do. But it was too much work, too much money the first time around for me. I ain't doing it again. Don't have to. It worked just fine. I said, I do. My wife said, I do. The preacher said, we did. Done deal. (laughs) Salvation's a one-time event. Surrender, it is not automatic. No one is surrendered automatically just because you enrolled at Baptist College of Ministry. No one is surrendered accidentally. No one is surrendered because they're on staff at a church or because they're teaching, leading uh, a part of the, the Bible studies. No one is automatically accidentally saved or surrendered. Surrender, too, requires a choice on our part. But the difference, a glaring difference between salvation and surrender is that while salvation is a one-time event, surrender is to be a daily event. His name was Saul. After he got saved, before he even got into discipleship class, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And Jesus didn't tell him that he's going to be a great missionary preacher, apostle and write half the New Testament. Jesus just told him to get up and go into the city and it'll be told you what you must do there. Surrender is a willingness to do anything that God wants you to do. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Are you willing to do anything that God wants you to do? Well, I'm willing to serve you as long as I, I don't have to give up this. I will serve you as long as I can do this. I will serve you as long as I can keep this. That's not surrender renders a willingness to do anything that God wants you to do. And Saul said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He's willing to do anything. And the Lord didn't tell him, I want you to become very well known, effective and successful and you're gonna have all these things. And that wasn't even, even hinted at what the Lord had in mind for Saul. He just said, I want you to obey me. I want you to get up and go into the city and then you'll find the next thing. And Saul obeyed. Surrender is willing to do anything and it's obedient to God in everything. It is to be daily. Why? Because every day there's new opportunities. New opportunities and there's new obstacles. You can surrender this morning in the service but in need of being willing to do it again tonight and being determined to obey whatever God tells you tonight and I guarantee you tomorrow if God gives you breath there's going to be a new opportunity to serve God but there's also going to be new opposition as well And if we are going to just go accidentally down the path of the Christian life, we're not going to be willing to do anything and we won't be obedient to him in everything. We must understand that surrender, it is a choice and it is to be complete. It's not to be in part. Andrew Murray, remember, was discussing the condition with others of what the need of the church uh, in his day. And it was said to him, it's absolute surrender to God. That's the one thing. And, And hence he wrote the book on surrender, absolute surrender. I want to say it's still the great need. I believe we talk about faith and Faith is that which pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But I believe the the two areas that come underneath the umbrella of faith would be that of surrender and brokenness. It requires faith in Him. It pleases Him. But if we are trying to please Him, believe Him, trust Him, and not be all in, it's an impossibility. God demands... You and I make the choice of surrender. God demands that we make the choice of continual surrender. God is serious about your surrender. And it's seen in this passage. This passage in Acts 5 tells us, I believe, God is serious about it. Here's a man, Ananias, and here's his wife, Sapphira. They saw God work. They saw and witnessed the moving of the spirit of God. They would have said, yes, it's true what happened. We were firsthand eyewitnesses. We saw it take place. And yet they still made the dangerous choice to not live a life of complete and total surrender. They lied and they died. God killed them. Now, I say that's serious. There are some who perhaps we think, "Eh, he's going to try to scare us into surrender. I'm not trying to scare anybody into surrender. I'm just trying to get us to see God's pretty serious about it. God is very serious about it. Jesus himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, was a surrendered Man, God is serious. And we look at Ananias and here's what you're going to find about him. He was not a bad dude. Nowhere do you find that Ananias struggled with pornography. Nowhere do we find that Ananias was dealing drugs. Nowhere do you find that Ananias was listening to bad music. We don't find that he cheated on an exam. Ananias was a good person. Man. But the fact is, there is a far cry difference between being a good man and a godly man. And that which I believe the reason God displays his seriousness about surrender here is because in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, the church is serious about revival. The reason why I think we have a whole lot more Ananias and Sapphira's in our congregations is because we have a whole lot more congregations who are not serious about God. I don't see this as a God that I've got to walk around hoping He doesn't see me. I see this as a God who is honoring the faith and the heart cry of His people who cried out in chapter one, who's cried out in chapter two, in chapter three, in chapter four, cried out again for boldness. And God's just honoring people who are believing him. They wanted revival and God wants revival. God's the reviver. He wants to send revival. And here we find in chapter four, this church displaying these wonderful characteristics But chapter five, verse one, but, A certain man. I was thrilled to hear of what God did here over the Christmas break with the program. I am encouraged by what God's been doing here as a result of the the Christ walk in the hour of prayer because it's been a a help and we've been the beneficiaries of it. And I've I've been blessed to hear the reports of how God has blessed in regards to the land and and, and the purchasing of the bus and all those tremendous testimonies where all you can say is God did it. I want to say there's a danger for there to be but a certain man A certain man. Are you afraid that God's going to kill somebody? That wouldn't be what I would be afraid of. Why then is God so serious about surrender? Number one... In verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And because of the word, but, starting out with that, I want to say number one, I think God is serious about surrender because the absence of surrender, it disrupts God's power. Here God promised them, told them in that crash course of things to come in chapter 1. Here, this is not your business over here, but here is your business. And I'm going to allow you to experience the power of the Spirit of God so you can accomplish that. And so they congregated, the 120 got together, they prayed and and the the hour of prayer turned into 10 days of prayer and chapter 2 God honored their prayers and God came down and God's power is being displayed over and over and over because their people, their congregation, their church that's a channel of revival but a man One man, he disrupted it. He clogged the channel. Everything that the early church did was accomplished by God's spirit and power. They started new churches in the power of the Holy Spirit. They preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, they endured persecution in the power of the Spirit. They prayed for more power. They experienced a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit's power. They witnessed in the power of the Spirit. Aren't you thankful that we have a a supply and a fresh, endless supply of God's power? I said, aren't you thankful for an endless fresh supply of God's power. I'll start all over again if I have to. Aren't you thankful that regardless of the landscape around us, regardless of the political climate, regardless of the persecution, and when we have to go, and we have certain times where we're going to knock on a door, we don't know what's on the other side. We don't know the response. But aren't you thankful that we can? We can know the response from God, and we can always bank on, by faith, the fresh In the supply of the Spirit's power. But the lack of surrender, it stops it. It disrupts it. See, any and all spiritual success was a direct result of the Spirit's power. But Ananias and Sapphira, they choked the channel of revival. They'd seen other Christians sacrifice. They saw Barnabas. They saw others give. And they saw God's power. They saw other revived Christians. They saw what they experienced. There's something that's missing today that we're in desperate need of. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerless husbands, powerless dads. William Booth said the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Why? Because it is surrender that allows us to access the power of God. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus had all power. And there he's referring to the delegated authority. But all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he concludes, lo, I am with you always. Why? Because he wants us to know something of that delegated authority within our life. John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, now unto him. is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul concludes that book with these words, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But it's the lack of surrender, not being willing to do what God wants you to do or not obeying what God has told you to do and it chokes that channel of revival. God's serious about surrender because it's through that surrender channel that he can supply that power that we desperately need. Number two, God's serious about surrender because the absence of it, look at verse two. What did Ananias do that his wife was aware of? Verse two, kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it, bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. What is that? Well, they're deceiving the people of God. They're pretending to have given, but yet they're holding back from God. But they're deceiving, not God, they're deceiving others. People could look at Ananias and say, boy, Ananias is right on the same page as us. He's right here with us, but he wasn't right there with him. He was holding back. See, We sometimes think a a backslidden, a rebellious individual is one who's not here, who's down at the movie theater, who's somewhere else doing something outside of church. But I want to tell you, a backslidden and a rebellious individual can be sitting on the platform, can be standing behind the pulpit, can be engaged in the service and busy tonight because it's not what is on the It is what is being held back from God on the inside but it's deceiving others and it is a big deal because what Ananias is doing is he's sacrificing without surrender. Oh yeah, he may have done some things that were an inconvenience and there may have been some sacrifice but he's really mocking the Lord's service and when we're not willing to do anything and we're not obedient to God in everything, we're mocking The service of the Lord. We're mocking reasonable service. It's counterfeit Christianity. Jeremiah 48, verse 10 Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. You're living the self life. It's not the Christ life. Christ, according to Philippians 2, he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. And here, Ananias and Sapphira, reputation was a big deal to him. It's hollow service. It's being content with the form of godliness, but it's denying the reality of the power of God. Let me ask, have you settled with just being good? Have you settled with being better than the, than the, uh, than the average? Have you settled for being maybe in the top 10% of Christianity and fundamentalism today? Have you settled with that rather than being surrendered? I believe Ananias perhaps gave more than most because if he's concerned about what others think he's got to be doing something that's going to cause others to think he's okay but it's not what he gives that's the issue the issue is what are you holding back what is it that you're refusing to give what part of your life are you refusing to yield well i'm going to bible college i'm not going to that bible college I'm in school. I'm not out of school. I'm not with this crowd. I'm not doing this. That's not really the issue. The issue is, are you willing to do anything that God wants you to do? And are you obedient to him in everything that he's telling you to do daily? Bill Borden said the secret to his spiritual success was simply this. I said no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Whatever the issue was, no to self, it's yes to Jesus. We have some police officers in our church. I'm sure you do here as well. We were having a discussion the other day about this issue that it is a criminal offense to impersonate a police officer. It's a criminal offense. And rightfully so. But I think God is telling us It's a crime in his eyes to impersonate one who's living the revived life when you're not. It's a criminal offense to God to pretend you're surrendered just because of where your mailing address might be right in the middle of those on Revival Street. God takes it serious because you're choking the channel of revival. You're disrupting what God's trying to accomplish in a greater way. The God of the impossible is trying to work within our midst so that we can have him do the greater works and more people be drawn to him. But there may be one who's not willing to do anything and not obedient to him and everything. And they're disrupting God's power and they're deceiving other people. Number three, God's serious about surrender because the absence of surrender. Notice verse number three. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? God is serious about surrender because the absence of it, number three, it dethrones God. It dethrones God. It's casting down the preeminence of God. Peter saying to Ananias, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? The same word fill that is used in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. The Holy Spirit influencing. The Holy Spirit leading us and he's saying, Ananias, why would you allow the the devil, why would you allow Satan, the deceiver, the destroyer, the one who is trying to disrupt and destroy what God is doing, why would you allow him to influence you? I believe it's quite a stark confrontation because I don't think many of us would ever say yeah I'm listening to the devil today no we just think if we're not going to be surrendered today we're just doing our own thing but I really don't think the devil cares who you give credit to as long as you're not willing to do anything God wants you to do and you're not obedient to God in everything that he tells you to do I don't think that the devil's sitting there wringing his hands because you're not giving him credit. Because there's only two wills. There's only God's will and the devil's will. And anytime you and I are not surrendered, then we are lining up with the devil. And it is the devil who is influencing. God is never influencing you not to trust him. God is not going to influence and encourage you to stick with being good and not be godly on the inside. God's not going to influence you that way. You're dethroning preeminence God oh you're making God a priority by being here but God's not wanting to be part of your priority in your Franklin uh, planner list God wants to have the preeminence if you're going to make a list of those things that need to be done God's not one of the things that you need to do he's God he wants you to be yielded to him are you with me am I putting you to sleep I'll chuck a shoe at you if I have to wake up I used to take my glasses off. I can't do that anymore. I need my glasses or I'm going to fall off the platform. But So I can see who's sleeping now. I know you're not praying. so Your head wouldn't be bobbing if you're praying. So stay with me. The preeminence of God. Where in your life have you been saying no to God? You've heard many times, no doubt, the... The story of F.B. Meyer who struggled in this area of surrender and the keys, holding on to the keys. And in that dream, God asked him to hand over those keys. What key might there be in your life? What are you holding on to? You may have given up everything. And remember, F.B. Meyer is a preacher. F.B. Meyer is is one who is uh, uh, teaching and preaching and knew the Bible. And preachers are not exempt from being surrendered. Tell you the, the powerlessness in the pulpit is a refusal to a result of the refusal to be willing to do anything and obedience to God in everything. I believe one of the great tragedies in our independent Baptist movement of folks trying to figure out how to have church today. This the, these trying to, to help. Uh, other churches, in order that they might find success today in the midst of a changing culture, and there's a lot of ideas that float around, and everything that's new is not bad, but there is a great danger in trying to to, to keep up and stay relevant with a changing society. And you know, you get a, a group that insists that they're old fashioned. We're going to stick. With the old paths and the old fashioned way and, and I probably would lean more to that crowd than than the than the crowd that's always trying to to, to find relevance and the preacher wearing skinny jeans and, and his shirt hanging out. I don't think any preacher in skinny jeans ought to ever go in the same sentence together. Never. But you know, some are just we, we, we tend to, to fall in a ditch one side or the other. We tend to react on almost anything. We just go from one ditch to another ditch and and balance is not trying to to, to stay between the ditches. Balance is just being biblical. Old-fashioned to a lot of guys means we're not taking the wood paneling off the walls and we're not taking the shag carpets out and and we're not doing any of those things. And I want to say old-fashioned and that's not whats what you're being taught here. You're being taught the Bible and Old-fashioned could be Little House on the Prairie. And, but I want to tell you, you're being taught also that trendy is not what we're doing. Malls are trendy. And there's a lot of ideas out there today that they're trying to help churches be a church without being too churchy. That doesn't make any sense. It's like we're going to go to a restaurant. We, don't, we hope it's not going to be too much of a restaurant, you know. Well, that's just like going to McDonald's. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to tell you there are some good guys that that, that get pre- they fall into the pressure and they get confused by. It. But what do we do? How are we going to reach people? Today? How are we going to do this and how are we going to do that? And I want to tell you what solves a lot of that is just to get a hold of the power of God. Oh, but in order to do that, that's going to take a something that you can't buy with money, and we can buy nice flyers and projectors, and we can do some programs. But if we're going to get a hold of God's power, it's going to take some willingness to do anything God wants you to do, and obedience to everything that He tells us to do. I think a lot of these conferences that are out there, I think these conferences could be solved on how churches can grow, how offerings can double, if people would figure out, if preachers would figure out God's power is really what we need. There's not a lot of preachers that would be interested in finding out how I could spend more time with God. Isn't that sad? And yet we're trying to lead people to what? I had a man in the church the other day come to me and I still get nervous anytime somebody wants to set an appointment come see me. And, uh, because I have found uh, pastoring, it's the only profession that I know of, if I can use that word, it's the only profession that I know of where people get upset because I didn't go visit them who didn't like me in the first place. And they're just quirky. And, and, and so I, I've had a couple occasions where a couple would come in and a uh, man would say, Brother Ingram, we just want to tell you we love you. Now in evangelism, that was always great. I never had anything after that that went bad. But oh no, not now. Brother Ingram, Pastor, we just want to tell you we love you, but. (laughs) So now anytime somebody tells me they love me, I just hug them before they can ever get the word but out. (laughs) And uh, a man came in the other day and said, Pastor, I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for being a pushy pastor. I said, well, I don't know whether to say you're welcome or what. What do you mean? He said, all I know is since you've been here, I feel like I just keep getting pushed closer and closer to the Lord. I sa- he said, I just want to thank you. you know, somebody asked me, one of the deacons asked, we were talking, he said, aren't you just thankful that at least so-and-so is coming? Aren't you just thankful at least they're here? And I said, no, no, because I know the trap how easy it is to fall in to just being good. I want to be content with what God is content with, and that is being all in. And we find the ease, if we're not careful, if we're not being deliberately influenced and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we are influenced by Satan, and it dethrones the preeminence of God. Number four, and this is the last one. Look at verse four. Peter said, "Whilst it remained? Was it not thine own? After it was sold, this land, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou is not light unto men, but unto God. The fact is, They were dishonest to men, but Peter is just putting the emphasis where it is. Listen, you you say, I haven't cheated in in school. I haven't been dishonest with my my tithe. I haven't uh, held back in this area of commitment. I haven't held back in this area of living and giving. I haven't held back. Yes, there's a dishonesty towards leadership and towards those around you who are truly but Peter is say, but the big deal is not us, the big deal is the one who is ultimately serious about this, the one who himself, again, according to Philippians 2, lived the surrendered life, it's the Lord Jesus. Number four, God is serious about surrender because the absence of surrender, it disregards getting right with God. I believe what Peter is saying in verse 4. While it remained, was it not thine own power? And even after it was sold, was it not within your own realm of choosing? Peter uh, is saying to him, don't you see? You had plenty of time, plenty of time to get off this merry-go-round of deceit and absence of surrender. Don't you see? You had plenty of time to say... Time out, whoa, I was being influenced by the devil. I was settling with something God never can stomach. Listen, don't you settle with what God cannot stomach. And Peter saying, don't you see, over and over, service after service, quiet time after quiet time, day after day, you had opportunity to get right with God, but you just disregarded the patience of God. Only surrendered Christians get right with God. Proverbs 28, 13, you know it, well, you've heard it. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Peter's asking, how is it? It implies Satan gained control, but Ananias had not dealt with something within his life. Sure, there may be pornography here in this auditorium. There may be some drugs, some tobacco, some alcohol, some cheating, some explosive temper, some trashing of parents, some inappropriate dress over the holidays. Maybe there's some some immorality, impurity, some fornication. But I would tell you the bigger issue that leads to all those things is a failure to surrender and to get right with God. Are you willing to surrender yourselves absolutely into his hands tonight? Years ago, a young preacher was struggling with the ministry that he was in, and he was experiencing severe discouragement. He was hoping God would change his current ministry, thinking that a a different one might make things better. As the spiritual crisis deepened within himself, he came to a breaking point of surrender to God's will no matter what that might mean, that that day he wrote a hymn. It was a prayer for him that became a jewel for us and the words go this way. Would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you can never fall? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see to us best for him to have his way with thee. In the 1924 Olympics in Paris, the 22-year-old Scottish athlete made headlines when he determined to live the surrendered life. Eric, Little made a decision that would have been unthinkable to most, and especially in today's culture. But he dropped out of his best event, the 100-yard dash, because qualifying heats were being held on a Sunday. While his competitors were participating in the heats, Little was preaching a sermon at a nearby church. Subsequently, Little entered himself in the 400-yard dash, a race that he had never even trained for. But he ran the race, and he finished Five yards ahead of his nearest competitor, he set a new world record and he earned a gold medal. But Little's Olympic accomplishment pales really in comparison to his lifelong series of surrendered achievements for the Lord. You know, after his Olympic victory, he returned to serve God as a missionary in China. In 1943, he was restrained to a Japanese concentration camp camp. Where he continued serving the Lord with joy and ministering to his fellow prisoners. While he was imprisoned, he was suffering from a brain tumor that ravaged his body and that really left him partially paralyzed. February 21, 1945, little laid on a hospital bed, struggling to breathe, moving in and out of consciousness. Finally, he went into a convulsion. The nurse who had been by his side took him into her arms as he managed to breathe his final words. He said, Annie. And with a voice barely audible, he said, it's complete surrender. And he slipped into a coma, then into eternity. God is serious about it. There's no doubt. The question then, is what about us? Would you stand with me, please? Lord Jesus, I I have quite a difficulty when I read of your humility and submission and faith to take upon yourself a form of me, And yet you lived a life of complete freedom, knowing in reality the power, the same power that you provide each and every one of us here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we embark upon a new semester and and many opportunities to see you do greater things. There may be greater trials, new obstacles, new dilemmas. There certainly will be new tests. But Lord, would you help us? Please help us to see the simplicity of the Christian life. Lord, may you help us also to, to understand. May you illuminate our hearts and minds and to get how gracious and how loving you truly are, even in this passage, and trying to protect a body, a local church who is set, who has set itself to be revived by you and stay in revival, and how you so graciously protect in order to provide revival blessing. And then help us to be very fearful and fall into into the hands of a living God, but a certain man. And if there might be a certain man in this congregation, would you help him not to settle with being good tonight, but to get all in? Maybe there was a surrendering this morning, surrendering last week. Lord, would you revive our thinking with this matter of daily living? Willing to do anything and obedient to you in everything, I pray. Do what only you can do. Do what needs to be done. And we thank you in advance.